the oppressed cannot stay in oppressed mentality. They have to rise up owning that it was not my fault, but I'm not going to let that happen to me anymore. And that's where my responsibility comes. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome to the Kathy Heller podcast. This show is meant to be a guide for you. I want to be that mentor who can hold your hand through this journey. I know that there are so many twists and turns in navigating not only what is happening in our mind, but also understanding strategically how we want to get from where we are to where we want to go. In the show, we're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful. What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are? How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life. And I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people. It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller podcast. Today, the amazing Dr. Shafali is here. I just love this conversation. It is so important for women all over the world to to be hearing messages like this. And so I cannot wait to dive in. Before we do, I want to let you know that another thing that's really, really important is happening next week. Um, I'm bringing together, we already have over 15,000 people signed up for a workshop I'm doing to help you become a master manifester in your life. There is so much power that we hold that we don't even know that we're holding. And I want to show you how to tap into the frequency where you can really use your full consciousness and you can start to allow things to come into your experience in a way that you never have. This free workshop is starting May 8th. You can join us by going to kathyheller.com slash abundant. I can't wait to see you guys in there. All right. Well, I'm so happy because as I said, Dr. Shafali is joining us today. She's a clinical psychologist, New York Times bestselling author, CEO of Conscious Coaching Institute, and an expert in family dynamics and personal development. She specializes in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy, and she brings together the best of both worlds for her clients. You might've come across some of her bestselling books like The Conscious Parent, Out of Control, The Awakened Family. But in this conversation, we're focusing on some of the lessons from her empowering book, a radical awakening, turn pain into power, embrace your truth, live free, which is all about helping women transcend their fear and any illusions and discover their inner truth and power. 
Also, we're going to cover the themes in her latest book, The Parenting Map, Step-by-Step Solutions to Consciously Create the Ultimate Parent-Child Relationship. This is a practical and groundbreaking parenting solution that helps parents actualize their deepest desires for their children and also for themselves. Definitely go get a copy of these books because they contain some amazing insights that can get you out of what is holding you back. It was such an honor to have Dr. Shafali here. She's amazing. She has such fierce energy. She speaks her mind without apologizing. And I love that she's all about helping women and the next generation, just helping us all to rise into our fullest vibration. She says some really juicy things in this conversation that might challenge you a little bit. So buckle up. Without further ado, please welcome the remarkable Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali, thank you so much for making the time to come on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I love how you're such a lighthouse, such a steadfast beacon for women, calling them home like a siren, calling them to themselves, calling them to the most conscious, alive, best parts of themselves. Before we even get into your work, I was just so curious, like, what was your own journey that led you to the moment where you're like, this is going to be my work? Like, why did this work become your work? Yeah, I think, you know, in my early 20s, I activated my seeking self. And first, I left my country of origin, came to America. I was always a wisdom seeker, a quester. But my first journey was physical. So I left the geographical boundaries of my country back in the early 90s, came to America, didn't know anyone here. And just that process itself opened me up to so much growth and expansion, because whenever you leave countries at a young age and immerse yourself in a new culture for life, right? I came here really to live my whole life. There's no going back in a way. So what you're asked to do is keep the parts that work, examine the parts that don't work, discard all the toxic parts of you. So that process created this huge you know, revolution within me. I excavated so much new stuff, threw away the old stuff. And then I began doing Vipassana meditation from the age of 21, which set me off on this wisdom journey. So at a very young age, uh, I was studying psychology. I understood that for me, the focus of my life was going to be growth, expansion, evolution, and disruption of unconscious patterns. So it came to me pretty early. I was an active seeker. You know, I, I always say that you can come to wisdom two ways. One is the highway of hell, you know, which is most people's way, that the highway of hell will just take you to breaking point and you will evolve. And then the other way is the intentional way, which most of us do not do. But I, I think I came to it more honestly and intentionally rather than serendipitously because I had no choice. Yeah, it's really beautiful that you combined, you know, both the experience you had doing Vipassana meditation, all of that wisdom tradition with also just therapy and what you learned in therapy. And I know for me, I've always been wanting to put that together in a more cohesive, coherent way. My background is growing up, starting therapy when I was like 12, right? My parents got divorced, did a lot of therapy, then took an unexpected trip to Jerusalem, stayed there for three years, learning Kabbalah, like living, you know, walking the old city streets of Jerusalem, and then came to Los Angeles and studied meditation at UCLA for a few years and started doing all these retreats and things like that. And all this time through my own practice, my morning practice meditation, I often struggle to understand 
how to put them together. And I was just talking to Vienna Farron about that because there's definitely something about therapy that is so helpful to identify unconscious programs. And also when you're in meditation and you move into that part of you that has that drone view, that witness, you're free of this Kathy Heller avatar completely. Like she doesn't even exist. It's like nowhere, no time, no body, nothing. And that is the most liberating feeling. And so how have you found the way in which you put them together that you feel like is the most helpful where they both wind up having a place? Right, right, right. So the way I've integrated it is in traditional Western psychology, and I'm just speaking just generically, you may work on disrupting your patterns, say, with your mother, okay? And your mother, say, abuse you. So you're very much working on forgiving your mother and the insecurity that your mother caused and the unworthiness. And you're very much in that detangling of that relationship. And that's very useful. So that's the Western piece of it. That's the psychological piece. But here's where the Eastern part comes in, is in recognizing that all of it is a game, really, and an illusion, because your mother herself was false, right? She was falsely being a mother. Whatever she said to you was false. And then whatever you took in was false, because you were in false self. So when you understand that you're both just false, then it actually just washes out and technically you should be okay, right? So wisdom teaches you that it was all false anyway. So there's no need to even hold on to the identity that you're wounded because that identity is false because you were coming from a wounded place and a false place when you got the identity that you were wounded and false. So it's all false. So if you can just get it, then in one one fell swoop, you can be done with your healing. Yeah. Right. So, of course, we aren't. Of course, we aren't. So that's why both work well together. The Western piece says, no, but I need to forgive, but I need to understand, but I need to dismantle and I need to detangle. I need to deconstruct. And you spend a lot of energy doing that. But, But the wisdom piece, which says you can be done in one second, really, in one moment, if you're just wise enough, you'll get it. But the wise piece understands. But at least just having that wisdom perspective allows you to straddle and to go, okay, I'm getting so caught up now in my healing, but really all of it is just really an illusion in the first place. Like there's nothing to heal because nothing was broken because whatever was broken was coming from a, from a false place. Anyway, you were, you were falsely believing you were broken. So it all started wrong. So it's just having that perspective, but I tie it in and I make it digestible for people in a very wise way. For example, another thing that we may say is, oh, it's too late now. You know, I can never start now. It's my children are too grown up. There's been too much damage. So that's true from a Western perspective. But from an Eastern perspective is, oh, there's no place but now. Time has no meaning. Everything is relative. Who said it's, who's what, what is late? What is not late? Who said it was good or bad in the first place? What you think is bad is actually, it's good because it's non-dual. So wisdom brings this whole other perspective that allows some reprieve, which if you did not have, you would just get caught up in the world's wind of just the Western perspective, which is why people stay in therapy forever and actually never actually liberate themselves. So you need to have both, you know, yes, struggle in the real world, struggle in the form-based world, but understand there's this whole other dimension to to your living that you haven't even touched upon, which only comes about through this Eastern perspective. Yeah, 100%. I 
fully feel that. And I also feel that words just don't teach, you know, it's the experience. And when you start to memorize how it feels to not be so inside of your identity as an ego, the feeling of wholeness, the feeling of love, the feeling of an open heart, it's a game changer. And it's what totally washes away. All that stuff just becomes love. It just becomes goodness. It just becomes the the beautiful dance you dance to get you to where you are, right? And so much of what I learned in Eastern tradition, I talked to Deepak Chopra a lot about this because he knows my rabbi very well. And there's so much overlap in the Kabbalistic tradition. And I also think though, what I'm learning now after 20 years of this is that my nervous system is a whole separate thing. That even though I have this now piece of my experience where I'm sort of disconnected from Kathy Heller. Those are just like two words. My nervous system somatically remembers little T trauma, big T trauma. And so I'll be walking down a street sometimes and feeling and perceiving things as just consciousness, yummy, live, full connection. There's no illusion. And then something will happen and my body goes into a pattern. And I have to literally say, I got to sit the body down. It's in the body. And I think that's fascinating. I'm just curious what you think about all of that stuff with the nervous system, with with how it it gets caught up in ourselves and ourselves remember like muscle memory. 100% the body will remember before you are aware of what it's even registered, what it is manifesting, what it's embodying. And that's why meditation is so important because even if you're walking, you can be meditating because meditation in essence is about one big part of your awareness constantly being tuned inward to your breath, to your feet, to your core. Like right now, I'm aware of the soles of my feet and I'm aware of my knees crossing, I'm aware. So one part of my faculty now, because of so much muscle training, is aware of this moment, this breath, this present. So when I'm talking to somebody and they are overwhelming me, and suppose I'm remembering past trauma, suppose they're reminding me of a teacher that abused me, it doesn't matter, my body is in an alarm state. I can still have a faculty of awareness tuned in to something that is always unreservedly autonomous from this moment. Meaning this moment can have many events happening in it, but there's one part of me that can be always aware of something that is autonomous from these events. And that's mindfulness. Mindfulness is tapping into the present moment and the expansiveness of the present moment. And then through that expansiveness you're connected to the interconnection between us all on a cosmic level that awareness if you can build that constantly within you then events are just events that are creating trauma or reminding you of trauma but they are autonomous from your mindfulness of this spaciousness that you always access have access to no matter what the event is So that is the beauty of, of meditation. It is a physical, it is a physical awareness that you have of your breath, of the fact that you know when you meditate and you are you spend hours and hours on the breath, and that you are okay on your breath. You're not Kathy, you're not Shafali, you're not an author, you're not a podcaster, you're nothing. You're just okay, complete 
on the breath. Best feeling. The best feeling in the world. So whenever you can access that and remind yourself, you then know right there and then, I'm on my breath. I'm okay. I'm in my being. I don't need the doing. I don't need the form. I'm in my formless. Just that awareness immediately makes whatever you're going through separate from that spaciousness. So now you know, ah, I am spacious, but what is happening to me is just an event. It's the doing, it's the form, it's not the formless. It's so beautiful. So I want to utilize that as a bridge into talking a little bit about the work you've done with parents and specifically even moms, you know, learning to be conscious. I say this because I had an experience years ago. I used to be a songwriter full-time and I was creating a television show for the Jim Henson company, all about mindfulness for kids. And as part of it, Lisa Henson, Jim Henson's daughter, took me to the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA, which is where I then wound up spending three years to develop a curriculum for children for mindfulness. What was interesting was we surveyed all these moms and they said, that's the best idea ever. Teach my kid mindfulness. And so I started working with this woman, Susan Kaiser Greenland, wrote this book, The Mindful Child. I traveled with her. I learned from her how to teach these children. So many beautiful practices that she developed. And what we found out was the thing that really worked was to work with the moms. Because when we worked with the moms and helped them feel a breath, we saw a big change at home. And so it was interesting that they wanted to just drop their kids off for this class and their kids would do all these sensory activities and slow down and regulate their nervous system. And what really made the difference was the mom's resonance, the mom's being grounded. And this none of this is news to you, I'm curious of all the things because your your capacity for understanding is so great. Why did you choose this as such a big lane in your life to work with moms and parents to be conscious? Why is this one of the pieces that you decided to say, I'm putting this in the world? Because you could have gone in a zillion directions. And what do you really want them to get? Well, precisely because you you realized what you did. And I realized this in my years of clinical work and in my own motherhood, how the core for the evolution of the planet is the consciousness of the mother. And I'm not just putting it on the mother figure. It is the healing for the planet. So when I was doing my work and I was thinking I should write this kind of book and I should do this kind of work and I should... When I deconstructed it down and I whittled it to what can I focus on that will have literally the key in a seismic intergalactic way. And it sounds like I'm so pompous, like, oh, I was going to find the key. No, no it doesn't. I was, just, I was just trying to break it down for myself. Like, what is the key problem here? If I had to break it down to one thing that I could say, let's change this and it will have a ripple effect of exponential proportions, it was this. And the reason it was this was more so because no one was talking about it, because the parent was exempt from examining their ego. The false identification of a parent with their parent identity, who was saying Kathy Heller identity, with the and the mother identity, that was the core evil in the world. When I say evil, meaning unconsciousness in the world. And that ego was not being talked about at all. 
And it was that that I went for because I saw it in my own mothering. I was brave enough to see my own ego. And that was the greatest courage I ever had in my life. And that is what I want to give to the world. Because when you see your own ego, your own false identity as a mother and how because of that false identity, you are creating this child to be in your own making, in your own fantasy, and you are ruining your child's chance at their own destiny, that is the core, quote unquote, evil of the world. Because you abduct your child from their essence, the child grows up to abduct others from their essence. And that's why we abducted the earth from its essence and abducted the animals from their essence. We fucked up the whole world because of that one thing that no one wants to talk about, which is the false identity of the parent, AKA their ego. So once I got that, I was like, that's what I want to dedicate my life to. That's it. I will die. Okay. If I can answer that problem, if I can solve that problem. It's so powerful. We need another word than powerful because it's that big, bigger than powerful. It's a game changer. It's a, and I say it not because it's about Shefali. I just know it. It's the message that is the game changer message. That's it. Yeah. And so much of it, I mean, we've heard all these like little expressions that it's not what's taught, it's what's caught. It's not only, you know, the way things are handed to us, but it's also what she's carrying, what she's modeling, her self-worth, right? And that's all ego. That's like, people think it's humility. It's like, no, you know, hating yourself. The soul doesn't hate itself. This is just like, and it just gets passed along. So as we start to be conscious of where we go unconscious, let's start to peel this away. Obviously people have read your books and anyone who hasn't hopefully will to begin to have a deeper understanding of this, but let's start to peel this away just a little bit. If we can, what are some of the ways that you've learned to help women heal from this? What are some of the things we can start to be conscious of some of the ways we can course correct this? Right. So it all starts from our false identification with the idea that who we are as we are is not enough. So we come into motherhood with that. Therefore, we make our children feel who they are as they are is not enough. And we, as women, keep feeling who we are as we are is not enough. Finished. That's it. So simple. But the manifestations are complex and deadly and insidious. And if you don't see the manifestations manifesting, you won't understand it. So you have to do deep work and become really aware and work with the coach to see how that one lie that who I am as I am is not good enough is showing up everywhere, everywhere. In my own life, my generosity, as beautiful as it was, came from a part of me feeling not good enough as I am. Totally relate to that. Women who are martyrs, overgivers, overdoers, fixers, saviors, we're so beautiful. Thank goodness for us. But part of that is our illness as well, right? Our greatest blessing is our disease, Because it comes from who I am as I am is not good enough. So as long as it comes from that place, we're going to fuck it up. So that is the fundamental early disconnect. Because we were born into a world that predicates its entire life on who we are as we are is not good enough. Look at what we're doing with plastic surgery. Look at what we're doing with social media. Look at all the filters. Look at all the achievements. Look at all the money we need. You know, it used to be that a million dollars was enough. You could die happy. Now a million dollars is nothing, right? We've become insane and insanely insatiable 
with our feeling that we have to keep filling ourselves up with things and surgeries and achievements and things on the outside. And this is what we then put on our children. So our children come whole. Then we lie to them and tell them, no, who you are as you are is not good enough. So then they believe it. But that's what I was saying. It's that we were starting wrong, right? It was so now everything from that is a lie. And our entire lives are lies, really. Honestly, most of our life is based on the lie that if I don't get married and have somebody in my life, I'm not enough. If I don't have children and they're not a certain way, then I'm not enough. If I don't look a certain way, I'm not enough. If I don't have enough money, I'm not enough. It's all based on this one very simple lie. But the truth is, if we can return to that place of good enoughness as we are, then there's, then everything else kind of falls into place. Then we can still do. And still enroll our child in some sign language class or French class or whatever. But we're not doing it from a lack and a hunger. We're doing it as, a, ah, okay, we have extra time and money and we want some drama in our lives. Okay, go ahead. But we're com- But our essence is now fulfilled and serene and whole. And then we can play in the world of form, as I call it, as much as we want. But our formless essence knows that it is complete. So imagine if we we parented our children with the sense of, okay, you are whole and your wholeness doesn't mean not being limited. You're whole because you're limited and you are whole with your limitations and there's nothing more you need to do, but now you can do just for the fun of it. What a different life we would have than the one we have right now. In fact, now we've become so insane that now women are being told that they can do everything. No, we cannot. And we should never fill our mind with that stupid idea. We should not want to do everything. You see, and of course we can do everything, but you know what I'm talking about this. Now the new affirmation is you can do everything. But what we hear is we should do everything. And what I teach is no, please don't buy that. Don't entertain that because you should not do everything. Sure, you can do everything if you had 10 lifetimes and lived in 10 places and were married to 10 people and had a house with 10 people to help you. But no, until all that, no, you cannot do everything. You can only do what you can right now and just do that. And even that, please don't put the pressure that you should do it well. (laughs) We need to take away this allure of more, greater, bigger, and come down to basics. And that's what wisdom teaching is all about. Just who you are, on your breath, in your essence, in your ordinariness, and let's just have an ordinary day. Wow. To me, that is liberation. All the rest is anxiety-making, manic, and obsessive, and oppressive. So, That's how I teach people to let go of all the lies, to let go of all the delusions of perfection, delusions of grandeur, and come back to just like, just call it a day, you're raising a child, and let's have joy. And indigenous cultures had that, and we lost that to this overly mechanized world we live in. It's so important, every word you're setting down on the table, because everyone who's listening and everyone who will listen to this or who's heard you say this before a million times, they, they relate every word. It's like, you're, it's like you're calling out the secret that everyone thinks is the secret, but everyone has the same secret, which is that they're living with this oppressive 
manic compulsive need for more in order to do what? To be good, to actually be good enough. And it is insidious. So let's say somebody doesn't have familiarity with meditation or they don't know, they don't know intimately what it means to return to their breath and find the the way they can just sit beside the river, right? What are some things that you could suggest to help them lean toward that or understand what that place inside of them feels like, or what might be a simple practice that they could do to start to understand not just what the problem is, but where that solution lives inside of their own equanimity. Right. So the first place, like I said before, is to recognize the highway of hell. Yeah. If you're not going to come to it already, like if you're already asking, that means you have to first recognize the hell. And that would seem apparent, but we can stay in denial of the hell forever because we're such zombies. So we have to first become awake. And that's why having children is so great because one of your set your first child, your second child, or by your third child, you're going to have to deal with the hell, right? Thank goodness for children, because somebody is going to make you enter hell. And that's why relationships are the best place to grow, because eventually you're going to have a hell of a relationship. Thank goodness, because those are the awakeners. So first, the place to start is in the hell. Can we just acknowledge the places I feel like crap? I feel afraid. I'm feeling stressed, right? So getting into the body, where do you feel stress? Where do you feel fear? And become aware of that first place, right? You know how many women have come to me and said to me, I didn't even know I was so anxious. Yeah. Because I was disconnected. So we have to do some grounding, you know, exercises, you know, where am I right now? What am I feeling right now? We have to do some sort of introspection. You can't get away with it. So how am I feeling? How am I feeling? How am I feeling? Just that, turning the spotlight within is the first step. I mean, there's no escaping the steps. So people ask me, but how do I turn my attention inward? Well, you know, I don't know. Every five seconds, put an alarm. Look inside, look inside, look inside. We have to start that connection. Putting the awareness, which has been focused and obsessed on the outside world, turn it inward, turn it inward, turn it inward. This is the first muscle. And then pay attention. What's showing up? Ah, this is fear. Ah, this is lack. Ah, I'm in fear. Ah, this is lack. Really, we only are in two states, fear and lack, which are really connected. And then it is how can I let go of this fear? How can I let go of this lack? What would it look like to let it go? And then begin to touch on, if I could just let this fear go right now. So say a mother comes to me and goes, I'm so scared my kid is, you know, going to be a loser when they grow up. I'm so scared my kid is not going to get into college. I'm so scared my kid is not going to be popular. Okay. What if for one second, you didn't have that fear? Oh, then I'd be at peace. Then I would be okay. Okay. What does that feel like? What does that look like? Ah, okay. So at first, it's conceptual. It's intellectual. And then after months and years, it begins to be reflexive. First, it's forced. It's superficial. It's intellectual. Then 
it becomes reflexive and experiential. Everything starts at the concept level first. And that's what this book, the latest book I've written, it's 20 steps. And let me tell you, I take people through, you know, it's called the parenting map. I take people through the concept to the experience. But first it's a concept because it's so alien and then it becomes an experience. And that's why life-threatening illnesses, near-death experiences are so amazing because those experiences are hell of a divorce. Your child, you know, doing drugs, something where you're taken to the precipice of your comfort zone. Those are amazing experiences because you bypass the intellectual, you just go straight to experience. So we want they say this with a smile, right? We want to get those big wake-up calls, even though they're the most painful. But the ones that take us to our knees means now we have bypassed the intellect and now we're in the experience of the health. Now we can work, right? So as a therapist, I'm always looking for rock-bottom experiences in my clients because otherwise you just stay whirling in the intellect, but you never feel, right? You want to get to a place of feeling, And that's why near-death hell experiences are so valuable, as painful as they are, because they just take you straight to the heart, to the feeling. Yeah. And what I also experience, and you know this from your own Vipassana work, is like, we don't have to let that be the wake-up call, right? And what's amazing is people have been so patronized for thousands of years, but the pilot light is always on of this higher consciousness. And so when people are in experiences where somebody else has that Wi-Fi, has that signal, has that embodiment and can, and can bring them into that journey, people start to see that they're in trance. They see that they're running a program. They see that they're not feeling the experience as it is, but rather through the looking glass of some old program of thoughts and they get it. And then if they get it that way, you don't have to wait for something to shake down your ego to the ground. You can just look at it now. And hopefully through these conversations and the books you're writing, you can prevent people from having to metabolize it in those other ways, which is why it's so powerful. In addition to all of the work that you've done talking about conscious parenting, you also had written a book really helping women, a radical awakening, and really helping women to claim and turn whatever felt like direct into something magnificent. Let's talk about that for a moment as well. Like, what are some of the guideposts that you like to put out there to throw them a line, to throw them a rope, to help people to go from feeling shame to feeling acceptance, radical acceptance? So yeah, that book, A Radical Awakening, is one of my favorites that I've written because it was about the tools that I use to embody my own awakened self. So some things that I can give you right now that people can chew on. Number one is that every hell experience, every hellish turmoil is here through an endless cause, through an endless uh, series of causes and effects. What that means, it just didn't happen. What that means is that it was unavoidable. What that means, it needed to happen because it was going to happen. It was in motion. So why do I like to say that? Is because nothing is just out of nothing. Everything is out of something. So now let's go deeper, right? So now the minute you go, okay, it's here. And it's not because I'm a bad person or that person is a bad person or I have bad luck. 
but it's really coming from the fabric of my own life. Now I can say, okay, I have been inviting it. I just didn't see it. And now it's manifested. So what is it here to show me about me that I have not been willing to see? So when you ask that question, what are you here to show me that I'm not willing to see? You're not leaning in versus resisting. And when you lean in, now you begin to uncover what the most important part of life, according to me, is your co-creation. You begin to uncover your co-creation, right? It doesn't matter if he was a narcissist. It doesn't, I don't want to hear if he stole money from you. I don't care <laughs> if he beat you up. I care he beat you up because it brought you here. Now I care about why you stayed. What allowed him to think that he, he could beat you up, right? So recently, two, three years ago, somebody really betrayed me and she was working with me. And my daughter, who was only 17 years old, said to me, mom, I know you're not going to like me saying this, but you need to look at, I, I, I cannot believe how wise she was because at that time I resisted what she said, but this is what she said. She said, how did that person even think she could do what she did to you? How did she, how did it even let cross her mind that she could even do what she did to you? Now, at that point, I got upset with my daughter and I said to her, that's so unempathic, Maya, because you're kind of putting the blame on me. And I said, it's because mom is such a nice person and because she's so, and I got defensive. But now I understand, even my daughter did not understand the wisdom of what she said, right? What she was trying to say is, mom, own your part that allows people to think that they can walk over you. Own that part in you because that's in you. And it took me a long time, maybe a year or two to understand the wisdom behind what she was saying, because she was basically saying, mom, no one will dare even think they can do that to me. Right. So I just thought she was being bitchy and a 19 year old girl. But now I get the wisdom. There's something in me that I can own that allows people to think they can get away with this, which is correct. Without hatred, without self-loathing, can I own that part in me? And that was the biggest message of my book, A Radical Awakening, which people resonated with because I allowed people to get out of victim mentality into thriving mentality, which is this, there's a huge lesson here for you without self-loathing, with compassion, for you to lean into and grow. So now I am seeing the big gap in my personality that allows people to do what that woman did. She did it because I had this big gaping hole in me and I did not want to see that in myself. And that has become now my superpower. And now I'm indomitable, right? Now I can be invincible because I have leaned into it and healed it and taken care of that missing piece that allowed me to stay asleep when somebody was abusing me. Somebody was abusing me and I stayed asleep. That's my problem. Now, that doesn't mean I don't take action in the form-based world and leave the abusive person and create boundaries. But that is secondary to what I needed to grow into on a primary level. So ownership. And it's difficult to look in the mirror at that level. You're like, how is it my fault that somebody slapped me? They're violent. There's nothing to do with me. And I'm not saying that you're not right. They are violent. You do need a boundary. You should never allow that. You should report them to the police, to the tribunal. Yes, turn them in. But also examine what allowed you to be in that place for them to slap you. Do that part too. A hundred zillion percent. I mean, I... 
really can feel like everything is just an echo, you know? Everything's an echo. We are that powerful. But, but, but we cannot also ignore that there is abuse because sometimes we put the onus on the victim, right? Like we shame the victim or, you know, for example, often people will tell black people or Jewish people, you know, get over it or you should pull your life up by the bootstraps. No, no, we need to understand that there was slavery and that was heinous and that had nothing to do with the slave, right? So it's knowing both, right? Whenever it comes to something that one overpowering dominant group does to another, that is not the oppressed's fault. However, the oppressed cannot stay in oppressed mentality. They have to rise up, owning that it was not my fault, but I'm not going to let that happen to me anymore. And that's where my responsibility comes. There's always going to be contrast. Contrast exists. There's always going to be 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness. So it's not to say that darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is still darkness. Contrast is still contrast. Evil is still evil. And what's on your side? Why are you receiving it? It doesn't take away being able to point out something and say, that's contrast. That's dark, right? But also my rabbi was here over this past weekend and we were talking about his father's a Holocaust survivor, went through like actual living horror And we were talking about it. We've talked about it many, many times, but we were talking about it. And he said, and I'm not going to quote it right, but he said, Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, his third law, Newton's third law is something like for every force, there's an equal force, right? And so sometimes the reason you're a vibrational match for something is because when something is so bright, It's threatening to things that are so dark. 100%. And so there's so much to look at in that. And at the same time, all the juiciness for us, why our soul signed up for this journey is to look at it. And so that's what we're talking about. And it's, it's such a beautiful gift that you even shared so vulnerably that story that you had. I've had so many experiences like that. And I'm like, oh, I'm a magician. I can create whatever I'm, you know, life is like clay. It's all consciousness, right? It's all made of consciousness. Like, so why did I put that person in my life? What was that there to to show me and to teach me? And right, right. But it's not necessarily like sometimes people will say, Oh, Shivali, how did you attract that? I went very easily, right? So I don't want people to feel victimized by if they attract dark forces in their lives, like as if that was their karma, as if that was their vibrational match. No, like you said, the shitty people will come to our lives just by part of life, just by being in life, you're going to have crap coming at you. It's how you allow it, how you allow it to stay, right? Many, many times you may just allow it because you're trusting, right? You didn't know the friend bought the neighbor, the neighbor was evil. You didn't know, it was just <laughs> but how long do you allow it to stay? Exactly. And then how long do you allow it to stay once you realize it's evil? Then how do you participate in the perpetuation of that? It's not your fault. If you have evil things in your life, it's okay till right. you know. Once you know, now what do you do about it? So right. I want women to forgive themselves because many times we get into relationships that are heinous and we're like, well, why do I keep attracting this? Okay, because you're beautiful and you're attracted. It's okay. It's what do you do once you know exactly that it is evil? Right. Now, I mean, anything that you put in the sun has an equal shadow, right? right. Instantly. Right. So yeah, there's going to be stuff everywhere. That's just part of this constellation of 
of all things being on the pendulum. And yet if somebody's perpetually, if you're perpetually finding yourself in these entangled dramatic things with money, with work, with relationships, it's like, how are you co-conspiring in that? And I think the biggest thing here, which frees me completely is setting down the shame. It's like every single morning, one of my mindfulness teachers said, have tea with yourself and invite the parts of you that are so broken that lie through their teeth, the parts of you that are, are sabotaging you every second and the parts of you that are brilliant and fierce and brave. Because if you really can welcome these just pieces of self, right, which are really the small self, really just the program. Okay. So you get to change the software. You get to change it. And there's no reason for shame. And I think these kinds of conversations they rattle, they rattle people, but it's ultimately for the good because what's to have shame about, you know, we're all cleaning up our program, you know, we're all here to make it better. You know, as we're sort of wrapping up, there's just so much beautiful wisdom here. I guess I just want you to leave everybody with like, for you personally, in your day to day, how do you find the longest stretches of peace for you? When I am connected to the illusion of the form-based world, I'm really, really good and grounded. When I get caught up in the illusions of the form-based world, I'm screwed. So for me, it's every day. It's my survival. I know that I need to disconnect from the bullshit of the world, from all the way from a weighing scale to a number on a list, to my bank account, to my partner thinking I'm beautiful or not, or to my child thinking I'm a great mother, all the way from the basic to the most important things that I have decided make my worth. All of it is bullshit. So when I see that clearly from my wise, expansive, formless self, I'm good. And it's a daily return. It's it's a daily reminder who I am, which is that breath. I am formless. I am not this form. And this mantra that I keep repeating allows me to stay very grounded and laugh when I do get caught in it, when I do get tripped in it, either the positive, thinking that the positive is me, like, oh, you're so great, Dr. Shafali, that's bullshit. Or the, oh, you're not so great and you're you're a loser, Dr. Shafali, that's a lie. They both are equal lies. They're the same lie. Because Shefali doesn't exist in other people's minds at all. She doesn't exist. And even in my mind, she is formless, right? So when we realize that wisdom, that whatever people are telling us only exists in their projection, which comes from their pain, which comes from their limitations. So I don't really exist in them. I also don't exist in myself. So once I realize that, then I'm free. Yeah, I mean, this is really the work, the returning and returning to that. And again, it's so generous that you shared. You're having a normal experience where like once in a while, those things can cause you pain, a scale, what list, what number you are in a list. Like I think sometimes when someone looks at someone who has um, ownership over certain language, they say, well, I can't really learn from them ultimately because they're on a different plane of existence. But the best leaders are people who are saying, I'm here. I know every inch of the cave you're sitting in exactly. because I've, I've been in that cave and I go there three times a day at least, right? Exactly. So tell everybody where they can 
follow along and buy your books and be in your world? Where's the best place? Your Instagram, your website? Yeah, I mean, everything. They can just find me, Dr. Shafali. My latest book is called The Parenting Map. The other book we were talking about, which is my favorite, is called A Radical Awakening. That's more for women. The Parenting Map is for parents. I've written five books and co-authored one, so six books. And uh, they can find all of it just by Googling me and uh, start taking a course. I have an amazing women's community called Luminous that they can meet me every week with my partner, Susie. I have a coaching institute where I coach people to become coaches like I coach parents. So if people are interested in becoming a coach and yeah, just spread the word of conscious parenting. Thank you so much for having me. I know that again, we know on some level what I'm about to say means nothing because it really is such an illusion, but I just want to tell you how gorgeous you are. You're so beautiful. And the truth is God makes beautiful things. The redwood trees are beautiful. The ocean is beautiful. And sometimes people are so beautiful on the inside and the outside that it's such a, it's like fireworks and you are like those fireworks. So I just wanted to say, I just so acknowledge it and I enjoy listening and seeing and perceiving all of the things that you put into this atmosphere. It's really beautiful. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you all. Thank you all. Bye guys. Oh my gosh, how amazing is she? All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, there's no need to hold on to the identity that you're wounded because that identity is false. All of it is just really an illusion in the first place. There's nothing to heal because nothing was broken. Number two, mindfulness is tapping into the present moment and the expansiveness of the present moment. Through that expansiveness, you are connected to the interconnection between us all on a cosmic level. You always have access to that spaciousness no matter what. Number three, remind yourself that you are okay in your breath. You are in your being. You don't need to do the doing. You don't need the form. You're in your formless. It's the best feeling in the world. Number four, you are whole and you are wholeness. You are whole with your limitations and there's nothing more you need to do. When you know this, it's amazing what a different life you can have than the one you have right now. Number five, just because you can do everything doesn't mean you should do everything. Only do what you can do right now. Take away the allure of more, greater, bigger, and come down to the basics of being in your essence. That is liberation. Number six, turning the spotlight within is the first step. We have to put the awareness inward instead of focusing and obsessing on the outside world. Look inside. Number seven, the oppressed cannot stay in an oppressed mentality. Rise up and own that it was not your fault, but you're not going to let that happen to you anymore. There's always bad things that can come at you. It's your responsibility to not let it stay. Thank you so much for listening. It means so much that you're here, that we're doing this together. There are some really good episodes that are coming soon. So please follow along and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening so you don't miss out. And if you're loving what we do on this show and you want to support us, please leave us a rating and a review. It helps so much for other people to find us and for us to get a sense of what's working and what you're, what you're resonating with. And it doesn't cost anything, obviously, just a couple minutes of your time. And if you know someone who would find this conversation valuable, send them the link. Can you think of one person who would be inspired by this conversation? If so, text them the link or post about this on your Instagram because maybe it'll inspire somebody else and change their day. Finally, if you want to join me for my free five-day workshop called Most Abundant Week Ever, I'm going to teach you how to become a master manifester. You can sign up at kathyheller.com slash abundant. I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you soon.